Am I simpler than a computer? I might just be. Welcome, my mere mortal lads, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you guys the juicy information that's contained within, perhaps some learnings, some themes that we can take out. And I definitely did learn a little bit of stuff in this one. I have Coding for Beginners Using Python by Louis Stowell. So this book was published in 2017 and it's about 90 pages in length. It's a pretty thick fat book. Like it's, I don't know, 20 centimeters by 20 centimeters uh, in size. And it probably took me about 10 hours to get through, but that was because I was doing a lot of actual implementing and writing of things down in terms of words. There's there's actually not that much uh, in there. So this is basically an instructions guide to learn the basics of Python. (laughs) It's relatively simple. Uh, So it's a combination of simple exercises for things like loops and dictionaries and lists and and things like that. Uh, Even some drawing exercises so you can create snowflakes and you know a square and stuff like that. And then towards the end it gets into more complex games so you're creating things like a 10 by 10 grid of Minesweeper or of how a, a kind of a variation of Pong if you remember that game. So in terms of layout, in terms of what it's about, it's definitely aimed at kids. You'll see there's a lot of colors on here, a lot of drawings, a lot of like simple text boxes, not too big language. And I suppose it's, I, I believe it has written on it somewhere that it's for eight plus. So, um, I mean, I'm older than eight, so that is <laughs> a good way to start. So in terms of the actual book, the author and whatnot, uh, Louis Stowell, she's seems to be a, a rather of a generalist. So, Uh, Other books she's written have been things about Egypt and outer space, uh, but mostly is geared towards fantasy for kids. Now, I will also mention that it was kind of a joint one. So it was written by Louis Stowell with Rosie Dickens, illustrated by John DeVol, designed by Matt Preston, coding consultants, Sean Oxpring and Ben Woodhall. And it was written by Osborne. So Osborne, I'm not exactly sure how to say that publishing company. So it's uh, kind of a conglomeration type book, and but she, I guess, was the main driver behind it. So what is the main theme of this? What can you take away from a book like this? Well, I think for me, it was simplicity. So the core concept to really take away, it does seem to be coding. This is my first experience using coding. So it was definitely what I took out from it was it was yes versus no. There's really this trying to get into this understanding of, Boolean logic, which is, uh, I'll read out the definition for that because there was quite a few um, definitions that are, are worth talking about here. So Boolean logic is a way of working things out used by all computers, which involves breaking decisions down into simple yes or no questions. So getting to the heart of what a transistor is and how the computer age has, has dominated. Now, there's kind of funny because I'm, I'm, what I'm going to say is computers are incredibly dumb. They really don't know how to handle i guess the gray zone which may be humans you think you know we can be kind of comfortable with something uh living in paradoxes guess uh, how i would call it taking a concept from uh, john keats and his negative capability so i suppose the, I'll, I'll explain a couple of concepts from here and it'll sort of show, highlight and show how things are simple yet how you could see how Uh, This actually makes machines and computers and whatnot and code to become incredibly detailed and complex, starting from relatively simple beginnings. So 
First of all, we have variables. So a variable is a way of labeling information for a computer so it can keep track of information that might change. So I think this is kind of the first attempt at uh, introducing maybe some inserts to your changes. So when you're using variables, you'll maybe have something like in the book, it says bananas equals five. And then you can go uh, create another thing. You know, what is bananas uh, Eden is two. And then if you go bananas minus bananas Eden equals, oh, it's three, wow. And then you can change this later on in the code and it will kind of update this to reflect it. So you can see how you can have this kind of uh, changing of something where you've you've uh, labeled something much like we label pens or phones or other random things in our lives we can also see oh you know a phone is still a phone even if i take out the headphones a phone is still a phone even if i damage the screen things like that so we, we can kind of see how this is getting introduced into here uh, a temporary container, I guess is how I would call it. The next one we have is functions. So in Python, uh, a, uh, a section of code with a specific task such as print or input. So this is where we can see it's, it's really just a tool. So these are pre-programmed things where uh, if I use this, it will automatically do this stuff in the background. So I don't need to manually be able to write down, you know, flick this transistor, flick that one, flick that one, flick that one. It's like, no, okay, here's some common stuff that people will use, such as additions of, um, you know, wanting to group information into lists or things like this. And this is where it's like, okay, um, functions can be added on top of this so that you can do extra things. So it's, it's kind of like taking out some of the, um, I guess, annoyances or the, the stuff that, you, you could code, but it's like, okay, enough people do this. So we, we'll, we'll create like a shortcut for this in, in, in some ways. The next one is loops. And uh, in here, it doesn't actually have loops. Uh, oh yeah, a loop, a section of code that repeats. See also for loop, nested loop, or while loops. So you can have variations of these, but it's essentially this repeating and iteration of something. So you have... Um, a set of numbers and you want to see how these set of numbers interacts with um, someone inputting something or trying to guess what a number is between 1 and 20. And if they guess below, you can have something which says, oh, you know, you guess below this, guess a little bit higher. Oh, they guess too high now. Another thing which goes, mm, no, you're still too high. And you can have this bouncing back and forth of this kind of, I don't know what the best... Uh, shape would be to describe it probably a circular type logic where it goes round and round and sometimes it can be incredibly dumb because you can get stuck in these things but also you can create things where it's uh, forcing the com uh, computer or perhaps even a person using the code to change it until something good happens or something that is wanted happens and then you can kind of move on to the next step so it can definitely be very dumb if incorrect and it you know, the analogy between it and loops and evolution is, I think it's pretty apt. Evolution can be on a large time scale, produce this amazing complexity. But if you're looking at evolution in terms of one generation to the next, it's pretty dumb. It doesn't really change much. And it has like these small, tiny iterations, which mean essentially nothing, but over the long scale can actually create some really cool things. Syntax. So this wasn't a huge part of it, but it's definitely something I took away, which was a way of setting out code so a computer will be able to understand it. So 
This is really, I guess, my instructions, putting things in needs to be super clear. If I am writing something for the computer to do something, I can't use words like I would in English where it's like, oh, you know, my friend is, is not really uh, doing the, the chores in the house. Maybe you should do the chores. And that maybe can, can have some, you know, implicit stuff behind it where it's like, you know, a little bit of sarcasm. Oh, maybe you should do the chores. Uh, in this case, the computer you know, can't understand sarcasm, so you need to be super, super clear. It's a simple machine, so you need to kind of dumb down to its level and simplicity requires simplicity. The last one I wanted to talk about was events. So coming here to the definition, event, a mouse click or key press which gives a signal to a program. So this is, I guess, the real part where complexity enters because humans are very unpredictable. And so typically this will be a human interacting with your code or whatever it is that you've created. And uh, even in myself, I saw where uh, I, I could create some things, but it was like, oh, what if I right click here instead of doing this? Oh, what if I put in um, some text instead of a number like the program's asking for? Well, you know, a lot of stuff breaks. And so this is where you have to be able to un predict the unpredictable, which of course is uh, the height of foolishness. It's not possible, but you can get closer and, and cut off a lot of um, pathways, which are, are maybe somewhat expected, even if it's, you're like, dang, how could you get this wrong? <laughs> so those were the, I suppose, the the core concepts I really took away from the th this little introduction to Python. And I haven't done any coding before this so this is just the the pure things that i i took out from but let's get on to maybe some more observations and takeaways and this is where i can uh, take off my glasses and and uh analyze with perhaps more of a, a chiron mindset of of having lived 30 years in this life and uh you know just touching out coding or something for beginners for the first time so it's definitely in the doing when the learning really happens so with this book, they actually have some links on a website where you can actually just copy out a lot of the code if you want to. You don't actually have to physically write it down. And so in here, it's gotten you know tons of stuff. Elif, player choice, um, two equal signs. Uh, what's that? Uh, quotation marks, three quotation marks, uh, colon. And then, you know, there's just indent player, print, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of stuff where you are just simply typing out the code. And I say simply, but it actually, there is something in the doing which actually, where, where the learning happens. So I was doing a couple of things whilst doing this. I, I was noticing right at the start, man, if I just type out what's written in there word for word, I'm going to get kind of bored. Like I don't really want to type out something about this dragon game where it's talking about, sorry, you didn't enter one, two, three, or four. Um, sorry, you, the Sphinx hisses in disappointment. You, you guessed correctly or something like that. Uh, in this case, I was like, no, I, I, I need to create it something so that it's more at least fun for myself. And so I created a little thing called a Hus Husky IQ in my, in my program. And basically all of these little random sections at the start, which weren't this more complex ball or pong game at the end, I was, I was going, okay, I'm just going to change the words. You know, I'll, I'll still have the, the, the loops. I'll still have the basic context, but I will now make it a game where it's related to 
husky aliens invading or maybe it's um you know try and guess your iq what's your iq how dumb are you how much of an idiot are you really and depending on the number that people would put in it would give out different um answers or, or kind of congratulations or or you know you're still an idiot sort of thing and there was definitely times whilst doing this where I was I was creating my own stuff and I'd try and tweak it and then I create something which has a completely unnecessary line. I realized no matter what someone does, this line will never spit out because it's just impossible because it was kind of sandwiched in between a less than and a more than and it was it was like, oh, wait, this this can't actually happen. And it, it came up really rapidly. That was probably within the first 20 pages or something where I went, oh, okay, I can see how you can waste a lot of time doing things like this and have code which just will never get referenced because it just can't possibly get to there. Uh, there was a little section where I was trying to do the um, the Minesweeper game and you needed to include four spaces and I only included three and I was wondering, like, why is my program and not working? And I literally copied it out line for line. I triple checked. I went onto the website, downloaded their code, compared it line for line, looking at each other and going, like, what the hell have I done wrong here? Until I eventually realized, like, oh, you know, I missed a space. <laughs> and this was also where it gets kind of into the syntax and it goes, okay, that's a likely error to occur those four spaces, they didn't need to be four spaces like that. I could have created something which, uh, you know, they wrote it in their game like that, but I'm pretty sure I, I, if I spent you know a little bit of time on it, I could create something which would automate that or make me able to change that into a word which I understand more. And I was playing around a lot with things like, oh, okay, do I need to write this in capitals? What happens if I don't write this in capitals? What type of things are functions where it needs to be written in a certain way for the for the code for the the program for python to actually understand like oh yeah i need to input this mm, this uh module so the random module or the tk inter module or whatever it is yeah those you need to actually spell really correctly <laughs> otherwise it won't work and even in this book itself so on page 83 there's this kind of funny little section where they're, they're getting you to kind of go back and then rewrite some code and um, basically it's it's all related to this ball speed and, and this ball um, moving in your like little program that you've created in the window uh, for the Pong game and it's talking about, oh yeah, no, if you're doing this, if you want your your bat to move up to increase speed as the ball increases speed, so i.e. making some difficulty levels after every four successful pongs, uh, input this code. And they actually have in here, and I noticed this while writing, it was like, you know, if ball move X is more than zero and ball right plus ball move X is more than ball left and ball left is less than ball bat right, you know, finishing some brackets, or ball speed X is less than zero and ball right. And I went, whoa, wait, I don't remember ball speed ever being reference, uh, you know, being actually... Uh, made into a variable or, or actually defined anywhere and sure enough as I tried to run the code it was breaking and then sure enough as I went onto their website I, I found out oh yeah they actually had a section on their website saying ah we made a mistake you need to change that from ball speed x to ball move x 
So this is one of those curious ones where it's like, did they actually do that purposefully to kind of show, oh, you know, look how easy it is to write stuff wrong in code? Or did they do that as, you know, a simply genuine mistake? Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell because this book isn't super, super complex. You'd think that would be caught up in the um, editing process before it's published, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, In any case, it's a way of showing, yeah, it's easy to stuff up code. (laughs) And it's in the learning, it's in the writing it out that you'll do these things. And if I hadn't done all of this, I think my understanding, you know, my very, very basic understanding would have suffered for it. If I just copied the code out, I wouldn't have learned all of these kind of like tiny, intricate little details which have so far come out from it. Which gets me onto the well. The well is deep. I can see how this overlaps with spoken languages and expressiveness so, so easily. It, it, it definitely reminds me of, oh yeah, when you're first learning a language, you know, there's some concepts you have to give away. Uh, for example, the equal sign. Whenever I've used equal sign in my life before, it's always been a kind of certainty. Two plus two equals four. You can't have two plus two equals five unless you're reading 1984 by George Orwell um, or three or anything else. Like, no, the equal sign means this is this. Whereas in here, the, in, in Python, the equal sign actually doesn't mean that. It kind of means that temporarily. So when you define a variable, like I was saying with the bananas before, bananas equals five. Later on, you can have bananas equals uh, bananas plus five or bananas equals, uh, I don't know, six. doesn't matter. And it's really only when you're testing things where you'll want to have that, okay, does is this true? where you use a double equal sign. And this is kind of like a testing type thing. So I can really see, which is very much similar in spoken languages. In Spanish, for example, I had a real difficulty translating, um, uh, can I have that? Or can I, can I have that to eat? Can I have a chicken for dinner? And they don't say that in Spanish, or they don't say puedo tener, which is the literal ten- translation. They say puedo tomar, can I take? And it was very, very difficult for me to be able to get this in my head where it's like, okay, I get it. It's not literal. It, it changes. It, it, it means the same thing. It means the same thing, but there's two different ways of saying this. And you just have to get used to this fact that this thing is now changed and it's opposite or reversed or the verb now comes before or the verb goes at the end, like in German. So you have to get very used to these um, differences and this is where i suppose the the frustrations can come in so this is you know uh trying to express something in english or in spanish or in german or in english if you're learning english and you you're stuck like it's in your brain you know the word you know what you want to say in spanish but you can't get it out in english and there's this kind of stopping and stuttering and you're getting frustrated and you're trying to find it it's very similar to, to kind of debugging where there's something going wrong and you're trying to find it. You don't, you kind of know what it is, but you don't and you're looking and it's uh, very, very similar. Um, biases as well. I, even just in my own day-to-day life, as I've been mentioning to some people of, of yeah, I'm, you know, testing out a bit of Python. I've already had someone come up and be like, oh, you should probably use TypeScript. TypeScript's a better language. And it's, uh, I don't know. I've, I haven't learned either of them, but it is funny how people will 
say these different things and, and how the expressiveness can change as well. Spanish is a much more expressive language and it's for this for, for a number of reasons. I find that emotional words such as gloomy, such as overwhelmed, such as um, happy or you know contented or something like that, in Spanish, I, I find there's a, a lot more kind of synonyms, which which kind of mean the same thing, but they, they all have slight variations. Uh, there's also kind of the fact that if you write something in English, it'll take probably about, I think it's 20 to 30% more to write the exact same thing in Spanish over, a, you know, paragraphs or pages, not, not for single sentences because that can vary. But you can sort of see how these kind of combinations would then allow you to express things in Spanish, which you can't in English. And I do find that. I find emotional things are, are much more easier to express in Spanish or you can do it with a, a higher um, degree of flavor to it, perhaps. Whereas in English, it is much more, you know, this word means this, this word means this. And there's not as much gray or overlap between. And I can't imagine how this changes for different languages i can't imagine how their choices of functions will dictate somewhat how people use the language how um, their you know different inputs different modules that they have different ways of showing you know a list is in square brackets or versus a, in curly brackets or um, how many indents you put in or if you use indents i can see how all, all of these these small changes when the people who design the language, which uh, I, I was actually listening to the Lex podcast, I think it's Guido starting with an R, I can't remember his name in particular. You know, he made all of these decisions while creating it. Funnily enough, he created this language over a roughly three-month period and then it evolves much like spoken languages do. So the as I, I was kind of hoping this would be the case when I was coming into it because this is I really do like spoken languages and so I was like this is a variation of that because it is very different you're writing this down I'm never going to speak to someone in real life prints um, uh, brackets uh, quotation mark where are you going quotation mark you know brackets indent uh, uh, return indent um, input <laughs> that sort of thing so it is very different in that respect but in in the actual kind of like underneath feeling tone. I think it's there's quite a lot of overlap between the two. My final observation was there's definitely this element of grind as well. And this is where it overlaps, not just with other languages where you have to put in the work and learn the top 100 words. You have to practice rolling your R's in Spanish. There is that element of that, but also, I mean, like in, in handstands, for example, when you get it to kind of like some more intermediate advanced moves, the the simplicity is still there. You know, what makes a good handstand? Well, you know, some good wrist strength on the ground, proper placement of your hands uh, uh, from distance from each other, a nice line, the overlap between not uh, having shoulder strength and the, the strength to kind of push through your own, your own head, past your own head and through the shoulders the scapular ability to, to move your scapula up and down where you put your legs in the air. Like there's, there's very little really, really difficult stuff. But as you start getting further and further and it's like, oh, I want to start doing a one-arm handstand. Okay, well, you know, push up, um, extend the scap, you know, uh, flag to one side, 
push even harder, get up onto your fingertips, start to feel the weight come off. Now, what's the difference between fingertip support and straight arm support? There is a absolute element of grind where even though you know what you're meant to do, the body does not respond. And I can see how this already happens with coding there's an element of like, you know what you want it to say, you know, the basics, you know, the simplicity, you know, how a variable or, or a function or a loop works. And yet it will just require going over and over. And uh, on that same podcast with Lex, I believe they were saying that for every thousand lines of code that's written, there's either seven or 17 um, errors, which is just, you know, it's astounding. How can you have like, people who've dedicated their whole life to this and yet they will still probably have a very similar error rate or for every thousand lines of code. That's, that's crazy. So there is a, this grind where you need to just put in the work, just write it down, just spend the time. And that's where the, the learning comes in from. And it's not enough to be an armchair mm, coder or learner. You, you actually do have to put in the actual physical typing on the uh, on the keyboard. So in summary, I'd say it's a nice and practical and easy first step to, to dive into coding, I guess. I like the emphasis on quickly writing. So within the first couple of pages, you are writing stuff. And even if it doesn't particularly make sense, what the code that you're writing, the things that you're writing, it, it kind of comes afterwards. It does require this little period of reflection. So... I purposely chose the most basic language and the most basic book to begin with. And I think this, this worked out well. I, I, for me, I feel like I've gotten a couple of the core concepts and now I'm ready to move on to the next level. So definitely recommended. And I'm going to give Coding for Beginners using Python a 8 out of 10. Worth checking out. Worth checking out if you're diving into something coding related for the first time. And so that is it for today, my Mimmortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on coding, on using Python, on my little simplicity core concepts that I've taken away? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via a Boostergram. So a Boostergram is a message that you send within the actual podcasting app that you're listening to. And it has a payment of Satoshis attached to it as well. So a way of monetarily supporting this show. And you can do that, as I said, directly within the app. And it is a, this is the value for value model. I do all of this upfront free for you. There's, you don't have to do anything in, in return if you don't want to. But I would highly appreciate if you could do something in return. And it can be as simple as sharing this with a friend, of recommending this to other people, of giving me uh, recommendations for other books that would maybe be a next logical step from Python, of other core concepts I might have missed out on. Uh, all of these things are, are very, very helpful and you can do that with any of the links in the show notes or you can do it directly in a Boostergram uh, on an app like Fountain, Castomatic, Breeze, newpodcastapps.com. You can choose any one of the ones in there and I would very much appreciate it. I always read out those messages in the end of month book recaps which occur on the last Monday of every month. And I really do just hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world, probably indoors with your glasses on, furiously typing out some code. Kyron, out. <laughs>